0: Coffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman.
1: Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. We've got a jam-packed show for you today. We will first begin by talking about Everton's huge new sponsorship for our kits, signing with Danish company Hummel. We'll then talk about Everton rolling out their international academy affiliate program. And then lastly, we will wrap things up with the latest in our player profile series covering our favorite, arguably favorite Brazilian, Rich Arlison. But to get things started first, my name is James, joined by my co-host, Alex, as always. What up? How you doing, Alex? How, how are things going for your, on your end so far? So in, in quarantine, I guess, as we enter month three.
0: It's alright, man. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how Memorial Day weekend is so busy while also still in quarantine. I mean, I guess they started like the phase one of Virginia, um, and so things are starting to open back up. I haven't, I haven't gone to get a haircut yet, but I really need one, oh. so I might, I might be going to get that soon. What about you?
1: Yeah, we're also sort of entering the reopening phase up in Maine. I think some some places are starting to open, and then June first seems to be the magical day when like restaurants can start to open and a lot of businesses can can resume action. And actually, interestingly enough, we've heard word that, um, of course, Everton have returned to small group training sessions this week. And the Premier League announcement for a date that they'll resume the season seems to be imminent at this point.
0: Yeah, it seems so. I mean, word's coming out that they feel pretty confident that it should continue. I have no idea how that's going to shake out um, with the amount of games we're going to have to play. I don't see us as Everton fans being happy in general with how the results are going to come out based on, you know, what we talked about last time in terms of the amount of break that they've had, you know, like being longer than like a winter break or excuse me, summer break. So I'm not extremely excited about it, but I guess I won't complain too much, I suppose. How do you feel about that? Well, after watching the
1: Bundesliga again yesterday and a little bit today, I'm starting to come around to the idea of, of football returning. I'm not still completely convinced that they're going to be able to implement it in England, given how serious coronavirus seems to be within the country. But we know that they'll do everything they possibly can. And they're talking about potentially like a four week training program, all of the substitutes at this point. I think more than anything, I hope that they're able to reach some kind of conclusion to the season, if only just so that it doesn't affect the start of next season. Because if we keep pushing it back much further, you're going to have serious implications for. You know, you have to postpone the start of the next season and then it creates this endless cascading effect. So hopefully they can just get it done, wrap up the season and, and we can all just move on, Um, you know, start thinking about the summer transfer window and, and what might happen there. And then prospects for next season, because as far as I'm concerned, this season, as far as Everton relates to Everton is pretty much dead rubber.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, you think about it like a summer break, a, a break between the the end of the the last season, the beginning of the first season is pretty important, just like mentally for players, right? If if some players don't have like the best season, then that kind of serves as like a hard reset for them to, you know, take a step back, evaluate, you know, start feeling fresh again, then start the new season fresh. And so maybe then we don't have that opportunity, and maybe some of our underperformers don't benefit as much as they might have. So it's it's a sticky situation. But yeah, I think I agree with you. The the biggest concern I would have would be just don't you know, don't hopefully don't interfere too badly with next season, because next season, as we always say as Evertonians, will hopefully be a good one.
1: It'll be our year for sure next season. That's what (laughs) finally we'll have brands get our team in order and we're going to be surging up the table into Champions League. But enough about that, because it's still so indefinite and we're not sure exactly what will happen. I'm sure by the time we record next, there may be some more definitive guidance. But something that is definite is that. Everton have signed a record sponsorship deal with Danish company Hummel to produce our kits for the next three seasons, looking to be about 9 million euros per season, which is roughly, I believe, double what we were getting from Umbro. That deal is dead. And I, for one, and actually it seems like the fan base at large is pretty optimistic about it. I don't know, Alex, what was your initial take and has it changed at all in the few days since since the announcement was made?
0: No, I mean, I like, I like everything about it. Double the money is, is fantastic. If you look at the amount of money, other, other clubs are, are bringing in from their, uh, from their kit manufacturer, it's a whole lot more even than we are with Hummel. So just like doubling, doubling the, uh, the income for our kit creators is always good. And, and also I think the biggest thing that people are excited about is the fact that, Everton is, is is Hummel's flagship brand now. They, they have produced kits for teams like Rangers, Charlton Athletic, Coventry City, Braga, and Portugal. But, you know, we are going to be their flagship brand. And so with that, I think a lot of fans are just hoping for very nice, unique kits, whereas, you know, there's that whole fiasco, let's say, with Nike uh, during the World Cup in which every country's kits that were made by Nike were essentially just a plain looking kit and then change the color depending on the country. So I think that I think there's nothing but positive from it. I think it's always good that Everson are catching up in terms of their commercial value and how much money they're bringing in commercially. So uh, hopefully it can only only impress. What do you think? I'm in the same boat. I'm
1: hugely in favor of this move. The 9 million euros per season puts us firmly, I guess, at the top of the so-called best of the rest. The typical quote unquote top six. Still dwarf us pretty significantly. I believe that Spurs are the next, or are, uh, I think they would come in sixth above us. I think we have the seventh largest deal, and they're looking at like thirty something million per season. So it's by no means putting us on the same level as those clubs as far as sponsorship money, but it puts us firmly above the rest of the clubs. And I believe Southampton, S- Southampton sponsorship with Under Armour, um, is just below us at like 5 or 6 million a season. So it's more money, obviously good. Like you said Alex, making Everton their the biggest sponsorship that they have means that we will get a substantial amount of attention and thought put into our kits. We're going to have bespoke kits. Basically, they will create a kit from scratch designed specifically for Everton furthermore all the training gear, everything that comes with that. It's really exciting to feel like the bell of the ball so to speak where we're not just another name on a list that we would be if we were with Nike, Adidas, even Puma. We're going to be their primary focus. They have a statement that they want to make as a brand. They're looking to grow the brand globally. And what better opportunity to do that than with an up-and-coming club like Everton, who have a really bright future with the new stadium and everything. It just seems like our brands are very closely aligned and like the trajectory that we both want to go on is, is very similar. And so it just seems like the synergy is really, really strong. And I'm really hopeful that they're good. And, and further, like the kits that they've done in the past for, for Rangers, for Charlton, those kits look amazing. Historically, they've made some really nice looking kits to the Danish national team. So I'm thrilled and really excited to see what they come up with for us. Hopefully a bit of a retro look, maybe throwing it back to some of the more classic kits that Everton have worn throughout the years, I, we've seen the mock-ups by Everton Designs and others on Twitter, and I, for one, I'm so excited to see what we can cook up. In, in addition to that, just to throw this in before I throw it back to you, Alex, not only is Sport Pays a Dead now, Angry Birds is dead. Talks with Rovio have halted. We're looking for another sleeve sponsorship. I've gone on record as despising the sponsorship. So we could have a completely new shirt, front shirt sponsor, sleeve sponsor, and kit manufacturer coming into the start of the 2020-2021 season. I'm thrilled. This is amazing in, in every respect as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm as as passionate as you are. However, I will <laughs> say I don't I don't like the angry birds, right? Like I don't like it and I don't want it. So that would always be good. And, you know, based on the same kind of line of thinking, you would assume that hopefully with with a certain Carlo Ancelotti at the club, our commercial value has definitely gone up and we could also get a better commercial deal on the sleeve sponsor and and on the front of the kit as well than, than we had. So I think those are both also positives for us, no matter how you look at.
1: And with all the uncertainty surrounding what the, the financials of all of the clubs across the world might look like in a post-COVID world, or as it continues to, to kind of just be the front and foremost story globally, it, it is good to see that that money from the Hummel deal is locked in. And I'm sure that the club are in some pretty pretty far along negotiations with shirt sponsors, so more to come on that. But let's move on now to the announcement from the club, I believe it was Thursday, of the official rollout of what is called the Everton International Academy Affiliate Program. And with that announcement, there are two American clubs that will be part of this program, and that is Columbus United, located, of course, in Columbus, Ohio, and the Schultz Academy in Florida. And Alex... Talk a little bit about what this means for those clubs as they enter into this program with Everton.
0: So I think that, well, to start, I think we should all be really excited because Everton are getting, you know, more official footprints in the United States. So for all American toffees like us, that's obviously good news and very exciting. I mean, but for these clubs specifically, uh, it gives them a huge, huge global brand to kind of grab onto. And it also allows Everton specifically to scout within the states, um, easier and in a, in a, in a more direct fashion, I suppose. Um, but you know, there was a quote essentially saying that this will provide clubs with the access, not only to the finest coaching knowledge, but also sporting and business pra- best practice to improve their s- sustainability and aid growth. Uh, obviously James, we won't go dive into this rabbit hole, uh, today, but. One of the biggest uh, talked about issues in U.S. soccer is kind of the the pay to play in the academy system. And so if, you know, if if Everton can help these academies uh, create a more sustainable business practice and again, also apply the finest coaching knowledge around, then that would be nothing but fantastic for us and for them, for them.
1: Most definitely. And so this program has actually sort of been piloted already with a club that is in West Australia called Joondalup City FC. And they were the, they were the pilot club. They were sort of the guinea pig, as it were. And the results from there, the the pilot are really encouraging. So from the director of Joondalup City said that they saw a 47% year over year increase in number of people who registered for their, for their trials immediately seeing a a dramatic increase. And a lot of that is is attributed directly to the partnership with Everton. Uh, David Clayton, who is the director, said this in the release that was made by the club. The Everton factor has been huge, with lots of parents very interested in the program and being keen to potentially offer their child a pathway to the highest level of football. You think of that in a place like Australia, and then coming to America, where it's a very disjointed system, I guess, to say the least, the youth system. There's no Coherent nationwide structure per se, it can be very disjointed and, and confusing. But knowing that Everton, a, a club like Everton, have a partnership with these local, um, both in Ohio and Florida, these these clubs, you'd have to think that sort of the same process would apply, where they will see hopefully a dramatic increase in interest, and furthermore, you know, being able to access the club resources, the training resources that Everton have access to. We've been to Finch Farm. We've seen the facilities, but maybe didn't get as quite a glimpse into the actual coaching knowledge. But these clubs will have access to that. And they want to also create some sort sort of structure where these teams can play each other, where they can visit Finch Farm and experience it for themselves. So not only are you building strong relationships like to develop players, but also potentially growing the fan base that way as you ingratiate yourself into these communities.
0: Right. And it does, I mean, there's just no way these clubs will not benefit over and over again from their affiliation. The hope really would be then that Everton benefits by being able to see quite a few youth players come through the ranks at, you know, some of these academies in the States, and then obviously at some point come overseas and you know, I don't think that we can understate the the importance of the coaching knowledge either, because one of the big another big gripe about American soccer, right, is just the Americanization of the sport. Youth coaches that only care about physicality, right? And so you have these kids that are just in quotes too small, right? And and they're not they're not maybe valued the same in American sports, even American soccer, like they would be in any other country. Um so I think that it's gonna be fantastic for these clubs. Hopefully it's gonna be fantastic for Everton. I mean, excuse me, the United States Soccer Federation. And I think it will be. And and then lastly, hopefully it's good for Everton and hopefully it works out the way that we we want it to.
1: Totally agree. And I think most importantly, it's just the the significance of this, that it continues the trend. Like we've seen from the fans forum, like we've seen from official press releases from the club, that they are truly committed and have developed a coherent strategy for attacking the North American market. And it's something we have been shouting for on this show since basically we started and to see it finally come to fruition and see that the club does finally have aims to create and develop connections with the North American U.S. fan base is really reassuring. Really great news. And this is just the start. So there's much more to come on this, but it's a great first few steps and it puts us firmly in competition, you know, to to move forward and and be one of the foremost connected clubs with the, the US fan base, which I think is just great overall.
0: Absolutely, James. So why don't we hop into the headliner for today, which is the next player in our player profile series, Rich Arlison. <laughs> So Richarlison's full name is Richarlison de Andrade. Anyone knows that if you follow him on Twitter, which uh side note, by the way, he was trying to coax Lukaku into coming back to Everton on Twitter uh, the other day. So look out for that. Agent uh, Richie at it again. <laughs> yeah. So full name Richarlison de Andrade. He was born in 1997 in Nova Venecia, Brazil. Uh Pretty much the only notable famous person from that area of B- Brazil. He's actually the oldest of... Five kids. Uh, His father was a stonemason. His mother was a cleaner and ice cream seller. And interestingly enough, uh, I'm assuming a lot of people, at least, know in general that Richardson um, didn't come up from like a crazy, you know, well to do family or anything in Brazil. And so, what he did when he was a kid to make a little bit of money was he sold chocolate and ice cream um, to help his parents out. Whereas apparently his friends legitimately sold drugs. He said he was often pressured. Uh, throughout his childhood, with with a lot of his friends to smoke and or deal, um, but he always wanted to try to stay away and 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 do the right thing. Yeah,
1: and it really speaks to his character, even from a young age, to be able to a you know stay focused on what he truly wanted to accomplish, which is of course being a professional football player. But to say when you when you come from a place where you don't have a lot of money, it's it's very common, even in the U.S., to see people turn to a way to make quick money and make a lot of it. And that tends to be drugs in a lot of lower income communities. So for him to be able to say no to his friends, which you know is if any, anyone who has friends knows when your friends are trying to get you to do something, it can be really tricky and I'm sure he took a lot of flack for it, but to stay on the straight and narrow and focused on his, his long-term goals from a young age, I think really speaks volumes to his character. And that is a trend that, that it, will reveal itself as we move through the rest of his career.
0: Yeah. And, and so a quick story to talk about this specific instance, when he was 14 years old playing football in the streets of Nova Venezia, there was a drug lord that threatened him at gunpoint, gun straight to his forehead, essentially... This guy thought that Richarlison was disguising himself by playing soccer out on the street near his, I guess, operation and come to find out someone was stealing from him. And so he thought seeing Richarlison there all the time, he was kind of scoping it out, playing soccer and then coming in and taking, stealing essentially his his, uh, product. And so from then on, Richarlison said essentially he ran as fast as he could and he never showed back up to play football over in that area again. But that, I mean, that just kind of, that story is a testament to like how different others, I suppose, have it growing up. And then, you know, really just to take that, like he, that that was when he was 14. So that was less than a decade ago.
1: And you think about a moment like that, when you're that young, you're just a teenager and you've got a, who knows what kind of gun it was. I'm picturing like a pistol, but just for the sake of it, to have that moment happen to you like there's nothing that can get in the world of football that would ever be that like frightening. Like, I I don't think even, I mean, obviously playing in a world cup final or something like that, or playing in front of a, a packed, go to some park for a Derby is, is it's just a different animal entirely. But when you're staring death in the face, like that is just a different, different level. So I think that really kind of, not whether that incident directly contributed to like his mentality and the way he goes about playing but i think just his upbringing in general makes him a humble and grounded player and one that really i think has been able to connect with the everton fan base in a way that a lot of other players that we've brought in haven't been able to
0: absolutely so let's dive into his youth career real quick so his youth career started actually when he was 16 officially right this is obviously an association with any um with any semi-professional or professional team so his youth career could have started earlier but as we know in brazil they like to play out on the streets and that sort of thing so his his official youth career started when he was 16 years old in 2013 with a club called real noroeste and they're a local club they were actually founded in 2008 and they're they're currently in the fourth division of of brazilian football then he ended up essentially he, he thought that he was going to just give up on football because. He was being rejected by several teams to that point. Uh, he didn't have a lot of money, right? Obviously, I guess this kind of speaks to how uh, scouting systems can only go so far in different countries. And he decided that he spent to spend all of his money on a one-way ticket uh, 600 kilometers away to a place called Belo Horizonte for a trial at a club called America Monero or otherwise known as just America. So in 2014, at 17 years old, He was offered his first youth contract at America Monero. And, you know, again, with with looking at Richarlison today and then looking at his youth career starting when he was so much older than all of the other player profiles, all the other players that we've covered in these player profile series is insane to me because that shows that uh, even if he was given some formal training, it wasn't anywhere near the level as a lot of these other professional players got. Uh, before they were 17 years old, for example.
1: And it's really a trend throughout his entire career. It's been completely meteoric up until even now at his time at Everton, talking about the clubs he's been linked with even since he arrived here. It has just been a almost vertical shot straight to the top. And that's just, again, A, I think it's a testament to the footballing structures in place in Brazil that they're able to find a talent like him so late and develop him to the point where he's making a move to Europe in just a couple years from the time he was first joining a formal club structure. And so just the he spent one year with the America Mineiro you set up before making his senior debut um, with America in 2015, 2016 at what he would have been 17, 18 years old at that time. He was he was managed by a man named Givan Givanildo Oliveira and in his very first season with America they actually won promotion to the Brasileiro Serie A so again you talk about coming in not that he was the sole contributor but rocketing up the charts wins promotion with his first in his first senior season and actually scored in uh his senior debut as well so very impressive
0: yes and they went on to win that match And also, while he was at America Monero, he signed a three-year sponsorship contract with Nike in August of 2015. So at 18 years old, at his first professional club, he signed his first contract with Nike, which was actually very surprising. I I, I wouldn't have thought that uh, maybe a player with that sort of minimal profile at the time would have been able to snag a deal like that. So that's also very cool to see.
1: And we'll see this furthermore as he then moved on to play for Fluminense. In the year 2016, he left in December to make that move that he comes in and he just makes a really strong impression and draws a lot of attention almost immediately. So he comes into Fluminense and he's managed by a man named Lavier Colpi. And in his, he had played for just, again, one season for Fluminense, 46 appearances off the bat. Again, he hadn't played in the first division of Brazil at that point. So to come in immediately, and furthermore, he scored 11 goals and had seven assists. So just an incredible—it's just mind-boggling. It really is. I can't get over it.
0: Right. I mean, that's so, so. That's something that we see as a trend through his career is just the fact that every step he takes, he 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 makes a forward step, and he continues to perform, and in fact, even gets better. And so, with that, to dive into a little bit uh, of a more of the statistics. For his time at Fluminense, which again, as you mentioned, that's really the first time that he was involved in the top flight of football, uh, specifically in Brazil. From an offensive standpoint, he was averaging about 1.7 shots per game, 0.7 key passes, and 0.7 dribbles. So definitely decent statistics, but specifically really decent for, you know, 18, 19 years old in the top division of Brazilian football. Again, after officially starting uh, his, his soccer career only three, four years prior.
1: And furthermore, in that one season with Fluminese, he was named to the 2017 Campeonato Carioca, which is the, remember, we talked about this in the Bernard episode. So Brazil has two separate, they have the state competitions and then they have the, the competition for all of Brazil. So he was in the team of the season for the Campeonato Carioca, which is the state competition of Rio de Janeiro, obviously a huge region in Brazil. So, just comes into the team, makes a ton of appearances, double digit goals, and is named to the team of the season. Not bad for a 19-year-old.
0: Not bad at all. Now, we've been doing uh notable players that uh, the the player in the series has played with. Unfortunately, at Fluminese, for example, there were not a whole lot of notable players in his in his season there, other than if you've paid attention Um, we've been linked with a central midfielder, a Brazilian central midfielder named Wendell, who is currently like 21 or 22, very close to Richarlison's age. Um, He was actually in the Fluminense U20s at the time that Richarlison was at Fluminense. So in terms of uh, notable players that he's played with, Wendell is what we've got for you on this club.
1: And following that really impressive season with Fluminense, he was called up to the Brazil uh, international team for the first time. Obviously, he wouldn't have been for the senior side just yet, but he did play for the U-20s in 2017 in the CONMA ball competition, which is, of course, the South American Federation and the U-20 championship. And in that competition, he made eight appearances and scored two goals.
0: Yeah. So, you know, again... Meteoric rise. Year after year, he's taking a step forward. He takes a step up to the first division after being promoted, after having a very good direct hand of being promoted. Then he makes a move to a very prominent team in Brazil. Next thing you know, he starts getting looks by his country. And, and following, following, you know, his great season at Fluminense and getting called up to the Brazil U20 squad for that tournament, he was then picked up by Watford in 2017 um it was actually reported that ajax were very close to a deal but marco silva at watford uh, convinced him to come at the last minute that would have been crazy if he went to ajax how how much different it would have been and i guarantee you everton fans would not be anywhere near as familiar with the man if he went to Ajax instead of Watford with Marco Silva.
1: Yeah. And of course, the the fact that Marco Silva spoke Portuguese, and we know as Everton fans that the connection between the two of them has always been strong. Richarlison looking at, at Marco Silva like a father figure, helping him acclimate to the league. And so for him to, to pull off really a coup for Watford at the time, Richarlison may not have been on the radar of very many casual fans. But rest assured, if you're being linked with Ajax, who are known for bringing in talent to develop them, fielding a really strong side and and most of their good talents then move on to other elite clubs in Europe. So he was definitely on the radar of a lot of scouting networks and to have Watford of all people come in and no disrespect intended to them, but to steal a young prospect of his nature out from under their nose, can have felt very good, but he did come in and, He he may have struggled more had he not had Marco Silva there to be able to speak the language. And and one quote that I saw was that he said that a lot of players come in and they don't speak English yet. And all of a sudden you're with an English speaking manager and it becomes really, really hard to adjust. So, of course, the the lack of a language barrier made things probably quite a bit easier for him in his first season at Watford at Vicarage Road. And furthermore, of course, there's a strong Brazilian connection in the Premier League in general, and Richarlison would have been well-connected, having already played for the U-20 national side. And actually, interestingly enough, uh, he credits Willian from Chelsea as one of the key people who helped him adjust to life in England and pretty much considers him uh, one of his key mentors.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that was super interesting to me as well. And I, I mean, you know, Willian's been around forever, it seems like, in the Premier League pretty successful footballer with lots of ability, So I think that, you know, he could do much worse than considering someone like William is his mentor. Uh, while at Watford, right, we mentioned that he had Marco Silva as his first manager. And then as many of us know how the story goes, Marco Silva was fired um, in the winter after flirting with Everton quite a bit and Watford's form dropped and they hired Javi Gracia. So Javi Gracia was his second manager at Watford. All in all, he made 41 appearances, scoring five goals and notching five assists. However, we do know though, James, that after Marco Silva departed, his form dropped significantly at Watford. And, and that is what led to a lot of the media, uh, bashing kind of Everton for spending so much money on him. Um, and, and I think the big thing, the big story about his form dropping at Watford was just the fact that he had been going nonstop with the way that the Brazilian season lines up with the Premier League in terms of months like start and stop, he didn't really get a break. And on top of that, he went straight to the Brazilian U-20 championship, right? And then he moved to Watford. And so he had no rest and he was just playing match after match after match. And as he said, his legs just could not keep up.
1: And and worth mentioning also that he started 32 of 38 matches for Watford that season. So not only is he playing week in week out but he's starting week in week out and for a player that young who maybe hasn't quite got the experience to manage his fitness levels or just being basically run ragged week after week you know his work rate is outstanding and so you think about the the amount of effort he puts into every single game it's really quite frankly shocking that he never really picked up any kind of like
0: significant injury yeah i mean it's he really and throughout his yeah i mean he he's always been a very fit player and yeah, no, literally, literally. I mean, we haven't seen that at Everton, uh, this point either. I'm, I'm trying so hard to refrain from talking about him at Everton, but it's kind of hard. It's, I, some, some could say I'm obsessed, but you know, we mentioned the fact that his form dropped off significantly, but, but let's look at some, some Premier League statistics from his time at Watford, because to be honest, and as I mentioned earlier, as he's moved along throughout his career, he's only gotten better. So from an offensive perspective at Watford, he averaged two and a half shots per game, which is quite a bit. Uh, 0.7 key passes and 1.2 dribbles on the defensive side of things he was averaging 1.7 tackles per match so he's putting it in a defensive shift that we as Evertonians know very well he was also getting an average of 0.6 interceptions per match and 0.8 clearances so from an offensive and defensive perspective his stats at, a, at, a, at face value look pretty good
1: Exactly, and you look at those stats, and it's like, okay, well, if he's getting you know two and a half shots per game and and key passes left and right, like how how did he only end up with five goals and five assists? And if you look at this, interesting. So we looked at his xG for that season with Watford, and his xG for the season was ten point one. So based on the shots he was taking, it would it would have been expected for him to score ten goals. So it's five point one less than his xG was his actual return, and we'll we'll refer back to that in a little bit. But of course. It wasn't that long ago, so this won't come as a surprise to anyone, but K- players that he played with while at Watford, Tom Cleverley, Dodi Luka So ba- that- Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. I want to make sure <laughs> I was right there. And then, of course, Jerry Delafeu, Everton fan favorite slash trader.
0: Right. I mean, there are other, there are other uh, players, other pretty good players at Watford, right? Um, Troy Deeney seems to be a pretty polarizing fi- uh, figure, and we could have mentioned him, I guess, uh, ironically, I just did. But we we kind of focused on the fact that um for some maybe newer fans, um if if you're not aware, Tom Cleverly and Gerard De DeLefeu both played for Everton in recent years, um, within the last five or so, both of them. So those are notable. And then Dodi Luca Baccioco. is uh I, I tried. Luca is is just a notable uh hot or young, not hot, <laughs> young He's and exciting hot? something like that. Uh young and exciting winger prospect at Hertha in the Bundesliga. So maybe you can check him out uh, possibly next weekend when hurtham
1: Alex says he's hot. So check him out. He might, yeah, he be. might
0: be hot. His, his, I,
1: we go by his first name, Dodie. I mean, that's a cool name. It's a cool name. Well, let's, let's, let's get back into the swing of things here and talk about his Everton career. And I remember it vividly because the year of course is 2018, the summer of 2018. And we are patiently waiting Marcel Brands's very first transfer window and what's this guy going to do for us? And we're being linked with every player under the sun as is custom, and there are all these ongoing sagas, and then one day the news breaks that we've agreed with Watford for a deal for Richarlison in the region of 35-40 million. And I remember it taking me completely by surprise because, you know, usually in a transfer saga you have developments, you have initial conversations, you have back and forth bids. And we knew that Richardson was a fairly likely candidate based on the Marco Silva connection. But then the story basically broke that the deal was done and it just came as like such a shock. And I think that was the first taste of the brand's MO that we really got as Everton fans.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, James. I legitimately thought the the Relentless links over those amount of weeks line, leading up to his signing, I, I thought that those links were just kind of lazy journalism BS And I thought that because, I mean, you know, it's it's the it's the very stereotypical manager comes from former team. Now we're going to be linked with every player on the former team. Right. We see it currently. Yeah, we see we see it with Ancelotti right now. I mean, every player he's had under the sun is now linked to Everton. And so I, I did not believe it at all. And you know what? I'm glad that I was. Completely proven wrong, and uh, I think that Richarlison has shut up a lot of his haters based on his transfer fee to this point as well.
1: Absolutely, and, and you know we talk about the the song is the fifty million. He costs fifty million, but he didn't. And for some reason, I mean, the deal may eventually rise to that. That was with add-ons, but it started off in the region of thirty-five. And even at that price, I remember a lot of fans being maybe rightfully so skeptical of a player who had essentially only had one. Half of a successful season in the Premier League maybe a little bit unproven. Of course, we're all eating our words now here a year and a half later, looking at what he's been able to accomplish with 70 appearances for the club, 26 goals and six assists, arguably, maybe not arguably our best player. But when he first arrived, there was a lot of skepticism surrounding what he would be able to bring to the club. And he managed to dispel those fairly quickly, very early on.
0: Yeah. So let's dive into some stats. Let's look at the offensive side of things, right? Uh, 2.5 shots per game. And this is in the Premier League. Um, this is kind of like a blended average throughout his two seasons here with us. So two and a half shots per game, which is right in line with his Watford form, uh, 0.8 key passes per match and 1.4 dribbles per match. So actually overall a net gain from his Watford, from his, uh, stats in, in his Watford career and Lastly, in terms of just offensive statistics, his dribble success rate went from 51% to a 62% um from the first year to this uh, current season. I-, I guess I can call it a current season, right, James? Uh, to the current season.
1: Partial, and yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. Right,
0: right. So uh, on the defensive side of things, he has averaged at Everton 1.8 tackles per match, which 100% believable, right? Uh, 0.5 interceptions per match and 1.1 clearances per match so again all of these statistics are bettering themselves year over year or in other words from club to club and you just look at the difference in quality he's going from right he's going from the fourth division in brazil to the second then he gets promoted then he goes to the first division of brazil then he jumps to the premier league of all all leagues and we know i mean it's one of the toughest leagues in the world and yet not only is, is he being more prolific in the Premier League, specifically with Everton? But he's, his statistics are getting better and better on the offensive and defensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, and, and I think nowhere is that more evident than when you look at the expected goals. And so, like we talked about with Wafford, he finished five goals below his expected return. The complete opposite is true for his time with Everton. He was four goals above his XG in his first season and already in this weird delayed impartial season he's 2.6 goals ahead of what his expected return is already looking to be you know in double digits and so it's just remarkable like you said Alex that as the standards keep rising and the expectations keep rising he doesn't miss a beat he continues to improve to rise and he's still only 21 years old which is just staggering to think about
0: so let's talk about this my ruffle some feathers let's talk about earlier in the year in January 2020 the International Center for the Study of Sport, which is in other words known as CIES, Richarlison was listed as the third most valuable Brazilian player in the top five European leagues, valued at 93 million pounds, ahead of Neymar, behind only Gabriel Jesus and Roberto Firmino. How do you feel about that, James?
1: I stand by it 100%. And and I think Richarlison really doesn't get the plaudits that he frankly deserves because he plays for Everton. I think a super young Brazilian player who has demonstrated consistent improvement year over year, still extremely young with plenty of developing to do. If he was at any other club, maybe if he was at one of the top big six, again, quote unquote, they would be over the moon to to have a player like this. And he'd be getting linked everywhere you could possibly imagine. And of course, just a few short months ago, there was the, I'm assuming, entirely BS rumor that Barcelona had lodged a hundred million pound bid for him. And people all over Twitter laughed at that. But for me, that is a, you know, we, we don't know what COVID is going to do to the inflation and the, the player market value. But for me at the time, and I stand by this, I think Richarlison is a hundred million pound player, no matter what. His offensive ability, his ability to play across the entire front line. He can score with either foot. He can score with his head. He's actually, you know, for his size, like really, really good finisher in the air. A true like poacher, but also adept with the ball at his feet. Really dangerous pace. He he is one to watch for the future. And, and you know, he's stated that his intent is to stay with Everton for a long time. And I can only hope that that's the case because... He just continues to impress week over week. And he, again, you talk about the goals that he scored. Who knows where we'd be without those?
0: Yeah, so let's talk about the goals that he has scored. We, we we did this with Bernard. We weren't quite able to do it with our Andre Gomez player profile, but to pick it back up with one of our most prolific players of recent seasons, James, tell us what your very favorite Richarlison goal is in an Everton shirt to date.
1: There's been a lot of good ones. Like going back and rewatching them all, it's like, the one against Wolves where he, like, curls it, slots it into yes. the bottom corner. That was his second on the day after he had opened his account, his Everton account, just a, just a little bit before that. But for me, my personal favorite is the bicycle kick against Manchester United. Like, that was such a good match overall when we absolutely throttled them. And that finish just embodies, like, everything good about Richarlison. The flair, he's in the right spot. It's a, it's not like a, f- a free bicycle kick. He has to, he's, he's in a crowd and he just, the control, the body control to get his foot up and thrash it into the the top of the net was something to behold. And I think that's going to stand out. He's, he's, I believe that he can top that goal while he's still at Everton, but it's a tall task.
0: Yeah. I've got to say that one was definitely sick. Also, de- I I will absolutely give an honorable mention to that beautiful Watford one, because there are some goals that don't have to be necessarily flashy, but they just give the finish. The, the finish is just what you need to see. And that, wa- that, that, that goal against Wolves was definitely that finish. For me, I think my favorite Richarlison goal, partially because it's hilarious, but partially because it just shows what composure he has at such a, a young age has got to be his second against Brighton on in November of 2018. And this is the one in which he knocks it around Shane Duffy because, uh, the other defender on Brighton kind of has a terrible back pass. He knocks around Shane Duffy, sends him to wherever he wanted to go and then rounds the keeper and slots it in the back of the net. That was a fantastic finish. I think it showed great composure and I legitimately do not remember the last time I saw an Everton player round a keeper. So that was also nice to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a couple other honorable mentions. There's that, uh, Per picture perfect counter attack. When we get it to, to Gilfie on the wing, he brings it up and, and then ends up crossing it into Richie, who slots it home. That was maybe our goal of the season last year, if I'm not mistaken, but he has so many brilliant individual moments. But then you look at his highlight reel for goals scored and he does a lot of really just. Right place, right time, instinctual finish, really quality with placing the ball by the keeper. And it just shows in the goal returns that he's had. And and again, hopefully he can keep it up when we eventually resume
0: play. Absolutely. So with his fantastic form at Everton, he got his first call up for the senior team of Brazil in 2018. And funnily enough, if you remember or paid attention, um, he was called up for the first time for two international friendlies. And he made his debut against the U.S. men's national team at the MetLife Stadium in New Jersey in a 2-0 win for Brazil. Um, And then in the second friendly, four days later, Richarlison scored his first goal for Brazil against El Salvador, in which he finished the game with a brace. That was at 21 years old. So, again, team after team, summer after summer, he's getting call-ups. He's making important steps for his career, and it's continuously paying off.
1: Yeah, and an interesting quote. I mean, clearly Richarlison is now at the forefront of conversations about who who is going to compete for the Brazil number 9 spot and he's got some stiff competition. Again, Gabriel Jesus, Roberto Firmino, there's plenty of st- stiff competition for him. But the fact that he's such an adept finisher and Tite said this about Richarlison, after he scored two against Cameroon in November of 18, I was not surprised by Richarlison's performance. What I saw today was the continuation of him always coming in and playing well for Brazil. In his first game, he really impressed with his incision and his finishing both his head and on the floor. I've also seen him play on the wing and play really well and because of his qualities and training, we can also imagine him playing as a second striker. Really impressive multiple positions. It just reaffirms everything that we have witnessed firsthand at Everton that he is a versatile, dangerous player that can play across the entire front line and we've needed him to play across the entire front line at different times and different points during the last couple seasons and he, and no matter where he goes, he doesn't look out of place. And that's, I think, the most impressive thing because we've seen other players and you move them out of their preferred position and they become not useless, but their their ability to be effective is severely damaged.
0: Right. And and, and on top of all that, right, just the comment coming from Tite, right, mind you, he's looking at in training, right, specifically the part about he talks about seeing his, his fantastic quality and, and it comes out of training, Look at the other players that he's training with, right? He's training with the Brazilian national team. And so when you're, when you're comparing those types of players and you have the manager who says Richarlison is just fantastic all across the front line, we can, we can imagine playing him elsewhere. Those are huge, huge positives for him. Um, and I think again, that also shows his, his quality too. And and then lastly, in terms of the Brazilian national team, we know that there is one more step. For him to take or that he has taken he was sitting in his grandparents house in brazil that nice video i'm sure many people have seen it surrounded by family and he saw on the tv when the announcement was made for the 2019 copa america that he made the 23-man roster for brazil which was a super special time for him and his family uh he ended up starting three of those matches came on as a substitute in the finals and scored the final goal Of their 3-1 victory. And so he was able to add the 2019 Copa America to his honors collection after only a handful of years in the first division of the sport.
1: Needless to say, it won't be the last trophy he wins as a professional soccer player. Now we can only hope that he's able to achieve many things at Everton. But to wrap this conversation up, Alex, I do want to kind of take a look at everything we've talked about. This player has accomplished so much in such a short amount of time, what do you think the next couple years will hold for Richarlison? Because in my view, he said, of course, that he wants to stay here for a long time. And as much as I want to believe him, if he continues with this level of output, it's going to be just a matter of time before some of the big dogs come calling and he's being linked with the Barcelonas of the world. So what do you think is a realistic timeline for us to keep Richarlison and... I guess, what do you, what do you see
0: as his ceiling? So his ceiling, he can go as far as he wants. I'm not going to say that he is going to win, you know, he's, he's not going to, he's not going to be, he's not going to win the Ballon d'Or. Okay. But, but anything under that, he can achieve because he works extremely hard. He obviously has all the ability in the world across the board. And so I think he can achieve whatever he wants in terms of how long he stays with Everton. I think before the whole pandemic, situation, I would have answered this differently. Uh And don't take this in any terrible way. I think that this pandemic, from a financial perspective, and just from the fact that it just cut the season into parts, I think that he might, you know, we might see him stay for another season and a half or two seasons. I think it's like two seasons max, though. And, and I think that because, you know, he can surely use more experience before going to a in quotes bigger club, uh, specifically, maybe let's say overseas, or I mean, not overseas, but, um, on a, in a different country, right? Let, let's hope, cause I, I don't want him sold, uh, to any club in the PL. But Never. think about the amount of, think about the amount of like stress and pressure that, that is on your shoulders if you were to go to Real Madrid or Bar- Barcelona, right? And so with that, I think he could use with, with more time and, and to hone his, his skills, but also, just to continue to gain experience. And then also, I think that Everton are in, in a good position. We're in a good position financially. I think that we know what we want to do. And we also know that it's going to take more than a year to achieve what we want to achieve. And so, you know, we've saw, we saw it with Flukaku. I think he wanted to go quite a few times before we actually did let him go. And I think that we have, a, we, we could have a little bargaining power to maybe turn an offer down. Like we were rumored to earlier with that hundred million uh, pound link to Barcelona. Uh, what do you, what do you think, James? Do you think do you think a couple seasons? I think that we're in a good
1: position to hold on to him f- for a while. Now, my heart and my head are telling me two different things. My head says you don't just put up these types of returns and all of a sudden have your meteoric rise stop at Everton, so to speak. You think that this is? I think firmly that this is a player that's destined for the very top, but. I also believe that he has a really good head on his shoulders. He's bonded with the fans here in a way that not many other players do, and he just signed a new five-year deal. We've got Carlo Ancelotti in. You're not going to go and find a better manager. At best, you're taking a parallel you know, sidestep as far as quality of manager. Yeah, you may be surrounded by some better players if you were to go elsewhere as a whole, but how many other clubs are you going to go to where you are the talisman, where you are a nailed on starter week in, week out to continue to develop your game in the best league in the world. I think the case for him to stay and make a legacy at Everton is really strong, but it's just going to come down to the financials of it all. You talked we talked multiple times about this hundred million price tag. And I think if we were to get that number for him, I I don't think we could probably turn it down, but at the same time, what a player is worth to Everton versus what he's worth on the open market are two completely different numbers. And to me, you he's not a player that can be replaced. And you look at what happened when Romelu Lukaku left, we can't be left with a similar situation if Richarlison we're, were to. Leave. So at 21, 22 years old, he's got plenty of time left to continue to grow at Everton before making whatever the next step is. And I think two two seasons may be pushing it, but I think still, like you said, pandemic's thrown everything into into doubt. And so I think that might be a realistic timeline, honestly.
0: We can only hope it is because, I again, I would not have said that, you know, maybe three, four months ago. No, definitely not.
1: I think that's going to do it, though, for us, right? That that wraps things up on our conversation over Charleston, I hope. Everyone enjoyed listening as usual. Uh, If you didn't, or if you did, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, what have you. Um, Otherwise, we will be with you guys next week. Alex, any last words for the people out there?
0: No. Thanks for joining us. As always, we really appreciate it. Hope everyone's doing well, staying safe in this kind of confusing and, and dangerous time. And until then, until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast.
1: Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.